This Augusta Golf Show podcast is brought to you by Audi Augusta, online at AudiAugusta.com. John Feinstein is a columnist for the Washington Post and an author of over 40 books. His new audio book is called The Friends I've Made. We'll talk to him about that and... We'll talk to him about story time with John Feinstein. It's a pleasure to welcome John Feinstein back to the Augusta Golf Show. How are you, John? John, I'm good. It's always good to be with you. I'm just sorry we won't be seeing each other this week. I I hope it'll be different come April. Do you miss it? Are you going to miss it? Oh, I'm sure. I'm I'm sure I'll miss it. It hasn't hit me yet uh, because we're talking early in the week, um, but... uh, I'm sure once the, the tournament starts, I'll miss it. Uh, I used to love to go, and I, I had all. We all have Augusta traditions, right? Mine yep. was one of mine was to walk the golf course Wednesday afternoon while the par three was going on, because there was nobody out there, right? And I could walk all 18 holes. I could get close to the tees and the greens, and get a really good look at the golf course. And then I kind of liked being out there by myself, you know, Augusta National. It's all mine. Um, and the, the, all the traditions, the Thursday morning uh, tee-offs and, and things like that. Uh, tra- the, uh, so, yes, I, I, yeah. I know I'll miss it. Yeah. Um, but I, I miss the U.S. Open uh, when it was at Wingfoot. I love Wingfoot. Um, but ho- I hope that uh, now that we're going to have a, a real president and that we're going to um, we're starting to maybe get close to a vaccine that maybe by April things will be at least semi-close to normal. Well, fingers crossed. Um, I'm going to ask you about the friends I've made, but now I'm fascinated by story time with John <laughs> Feinstein. Tell me about story time. Well, it really came from the pandemic, to be honest, John. When it started, a number of my Twitter followers um, wrote to me and said, you know, we're all... Remember, at the beginning, we were all staying inside. Right. Um, how would you, you know, why don't you put out a story on Twitter every day? Because you're, you're a storyteller. That's what you do. Um, and I started doing it. And uh, it, it, people seemed to like it. I mean, a lot of people wrote to me, oh, please keep them, keep coming with these. We love them. Uh, and then a number of people said, you ought to do more of this. You ought to take it a step farther. Put them all in a book or put them all on, on, on audio or video. And I have a, a good friend here uh, in D.C. Uh, who's much more technologically oriented than I am. Most humans on Earth yeah, are more that technologically oriented than I am. Yeah. Um, and he said, let's put this thing together on video. And so we started taping story, stories obviously expanded from Twitter, more detail, longer, three to five minutes maybe. I sit in front of my fireplace and I tell stories uh, from my career, from people I've known, stories that for the most part I have not written or talked about. Maybe I've written some of them or, uh, you know, some of them come from some of the tweets I did back in the spring. Um, And it's been a a lot of fun. And my 10-year-old daughter, Jane, who is the world's cutest human being, uh, intros and outros, and we don't have her on camera. Her mother wouldn't allow that. Uh, but you will hear her voice saying, "Welcome to Story Time with my dad, John Feinstein." That's, and uh, now, so, uh, it's, so we pay for it's uh, how we how do we do this? How do yeah, we get well, this? when you first all you do is go to uh, Story Time with John Feinstein, and and then a, a whole thing will pop up telling you how to to sign up for it, or you can go to my website jfeinsteinbooks.com, and there's a link. And there are a couple already up there that are free, so you get a look at it, see mm-hmm. if you think it's going to be worthwhile. And if you think it's worthwhile, 
you'd pay $2 a month to get three of them a week. Okay. Which All I think right. is a pretty good deal. That's yeah, fine. Yeah, it's good. That's yeah. good. It'll keep us. I'm worth $2. Absolutely. Maybe even $2.05. Don't get, don't get carried away. Yeah, don't get carried away. Uh, and right. I'm looking forward to the John Feinstein Christmas special. Yes, I'll be singing Moon River. <laughs> um, the uh, all right, okay, but but, but I uh, that's great. I'm happy for you. I, you'll get my two bucks. Um, well, there you go. That's one. That's one. Tell me about now the the friends I've made. Also, a little different for you. Talk about very different. Talk about this. Well, uh, I I have a friend named Bob Snyder who who produces podcasts with people like Bob Ryan and some college basketball coaches here in D.C. and others. And he had come to me about possibly doing a podcast. And I've got a, I'm lucky, John. I've still got a lot going on. And I wasn't sure I wanted to commit that kind of time once a week. Mm-hmm. And so we talked a little further. And if I have a strength, I think, as a reporter, it's the relationships I've developed through the years, uh, having done this for 100 years, with a lot of people, some famous, some not so famous. Um, but he said, what about, do you think you could put together uh, an audio book with, say, five guys you've known um, who would be names to, to the general public? And I said, yeah, I think I could do that. And I put, actually put together a list of about 20. And I winnowed it to five. And the five I came up with ultimately were David Faraday, mm-hmm. Mike Shevsky, sure? Tom Izzo, okay. Mary Carrillo, Steve Kerr. Um, I love all of those people. All of them very well known, and all of them people I've known well, which is important to the process. And beyond that, as I think you'll find if you you listen to the book, each has a unique story to tell. Now, everybody's story is unique, but I mean in the sense that Mike Krzyzewski almost got fired after his third year at Duke. Steve Kerr had to deal with his father being assassinated in Beirut when Mm -hmm. he was a freshman in college. Mary Carrillo is the first woman to ever do uh, color on men's tennis uh, back in the uh, mid-80s. Faraday is Faraday. He's he's unique because he's Faraday, and golf fans know exactly what I'm I'm talking about there. And Tom Izzo was a guy who was a Division III basketball player, never thought he'd be a head coach, and now has become one of the great coaches and is in the Basketball Hall of Fame already as an active coach. Um, And all friends. And one thing... John, you know me well enough to know that I'm well past the notion that of objective reporting. There's no such thing. We all have biases. Mm-hmm. We all have people we like. We all have people we don't like. We all root for the story. Dave Anderson of the New York Times taught me years ago that one of the first rules of sports writing is you're always allowed to root for yourself. As in, if you're on deadline, you don't want extra innings or you don't want extra holes. Hmm. Or you want the guy who's the better story to win because hmm. it's an easier story to tell. Um, but uh, So I have, through the years, made quite a few friends. All five of these people I consider friends. And am I biased when I talk about them or write about them? Absolutely. But, I, but what you, I always keep in the back of my mind is you have to be fair. I, you and I have talked about Tiger Woods often. I'm not, I, don't want, I don't particularly like Tiger Woods personally. I think he, he has treated people badly, um, including his wife and children, uh, on many occasions throughout his life. But I also think he's the greatest player of all time, all due respect to Jack Nicklaus. And I think if you go and look at the things he accomplished, particularly between 1997 and 2008, um, the statistics back me up. So while I may not like Tiger Woods that much, I respect the hell out of who he is as a golfer. 
And in the case of these five people, um, I like them a lot. I, because I know them well, I can see their flaws, um, just as I'm sure they can see mine. But I think if you listen to the friends I've made, you're hearing conversations. You're not hearing interviews. And they're comfortable with me. They okay, trust so, me. So, and so, they talk honestly. So we're hearing from, from, from Mike and from David. Oh, yes. Okay. Uh, the, the way each of them breaks down is I talk for about 10 minutes about Mike Krzyzewski and how I got to know him and why I think he is who he is and tell a couple stories maybe about him. And then I speak to him for 35, 40 minutes, and then I wrap it up. Same with Steve Kerr, same with David Faraday, and on through all five of them. So, yes, each, each person gets roughly an hour, okay. and it's got a prologue, lengthy interview, or lengthy conversation epilogue. All right. Well, I look. For, I, mean, I really look forward to that because I, I love all of those people, and I, 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 I secret. I love Carrillo. I don't know that Mary. How has, can you not love? I Carrillo? don't know that she's ever really gotten the credit she's deserved for, for doing what she does. Well, if you think about it, as I said, she was the first um, woman to do analysis on men's tennis, mm-hmm. and she's as good as it gets. Yep. At that, and she tells the story of how. She came to do men's tennis uh, on uh, the, the the friends I've made. It's, it's really an interesting story. Um, her features for HBO for Real Sports and for NBC during the Olympics are fantastic. Yep, uh, she's one of the brightest people I know. She became a grandmother about a year ago, and. In my very biased opinion, she's got to be the best looking grandmother in America. <laughs> now, now to, to get to, to get selfish here. When I do this, am, am I listening in order, or can I cherry pick? Can I choose Carrillo first? You know, uh, again, this gets back to my knowledge of technology. Okay, that's fine. I Never, no mind. Idea. Never mind. Never mind. I'm you sorry. You can probably fast forward. I'm sorry that I asked. Uh, <laughs> I have no clue. Well, congratulations on, on, on both of those projects. Thank I, you. I, I look forward to this. Um, you know, you mentioned what you learned from Dave. So... I guess the answer to this is going to be yes. I know you that. Do you care more about the people in the game than you do the result of the game? And was there a time you weren't that way? Uh, the answer to the first question is yes. Yes, I that's care why. more about the people in the game. Well, I asked the second uh, question. I, I've always said that my books in particular, but most of my writing is about people who just happen to be in sports. Uh, I covered politics for four years, and then I wrote about people who were in politics as opposed to now when I write about people in sports. Uh, when I was younger, I did care more about the results than I do now. Um, there are very few events in sports where I really care about the outcome, unless, again, going back to what I said, one is a better story than another. I care about the story. Um, there, there are more, like when, when UMBC beat Virginia, and, and became the first number 16 seed to win an NCAA tournament game. Look, I have nothing but respect for Tony Bennett. I consider him a friend. If I do another one of these, he, he very well might be one of the five people I approach because we're that, that good friends. But I also know Ryan Odom very well. I knew, I knew Ryan Odom when he was six years old. <laughs> when it, his dad, Dave, was the coach at Durham High School. And I was working as a stringer for the Durham paper and covered the, their games. And, and he would come to the games, he and his brother, um, Lane would come to the games with their mom. So when, when Ryan Odom's UMBC team pulled that upset, yeah, I was excited. I was jumping up and down with excitement. But most of the time, uh, it, it, I'm more interested in 
what's the best story? What, you know, like this in the lead up to the Masters this week. I'm not. Everybody's going to be writing about Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson and Rory McIlroy and Bryson DeChambeau. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking for the story that everybody else isn't looking for. That's what I like to do the most. That's why I wrote a column on Golf Digest a few weeks ago saying, you know what the best story of the year is? It's not Bryson winning the, the Open or Colin Morikawa, great story, winning the PGA. It's Stuart Sink winning again after 11 years, you know, and after going through his wife's stage four cancer. That's a great story. And those are the kind of stories that, that at this point in my life fascinate me the most. But I assume to the point of the relationship, you're also, you care about the outcome because your subject cares about the outcome. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. I, I mean, um, you know, I, 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 I've, when, when Mike Krzyzewski and Tom Izzo face each other in a regional final the way they did two years ago, look, I, I, I've been close to them both. And I'm going to be I'm going to be thrilled for the winner and disappointed for the loser. Those are those are tough games for me. Yeah. Um, yeah I covered that game. Because uh, it was played here in Washington for the Washington Post, um, but yeah, I mean, when guys get into position, who I I know and like and care about um, to to win something, God darn darn right, I'm I'm pulling for them. Absolutely. Um, you brought up the Masters. It's a Masters weekend, so we should probably talk. Do you? Does the Masters need a crowd more than any other event you can think of? Uh, second to the. Ah, good point. Okay. I think the rider, I think the PGA of America, <clears throat> excuse me, and the European PGA absolutely made the right decision postponing the Ryder Cup for a year. Uh, obviously, they could have chosen to play it at Whistling Straits with no fans. The Ryder Cup's not the Ryder Cup without fans. Even the drunk, obnoxious ones are, are, are part of the experience. And it's interesting that Rory McElroy. Who dealt with? I mean, I I walked with the, the McElroy Reed match. I I was walking with uh, Rory's match on Saturday afternoon when he almost went over the ropes after a drunk because the guy was so profane and so obnoxious. Um, and in spite of that, Rory was one of the first guys to say, "You can't play the Ryder Cup without fans." Uh, and it's it's going to be in the U.S. obviously uh, when it's next played. So I, I, Ryder Cup first, but Masters probably second. Yes. Uh, because the traditions, again, of uh, what it sounds like, uh, particularly on Sunday afternoon, uh, you, you know better than I, because you've been to it more often than I have, and you've lived with it for so long. Uh, you can tell a tiger roar. You can tell a Phil roar. You can tell an eagle roar at 13 or 15 um, when they occur. Uh, so it, it, without that, it, it will feel different. It will feel very different to the players. Um, without any question. Um, but I, I think Augusta National made the decision that a, a Masters like this is better than no Masters at all. What did you, uh, what did you make of the announcement earlier this week regarding Lee Elder and, and the scholarships and the historically black universities? What, 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 when you heard that, what did you think? Well, uh, I, I love the idea of the scholarship. I think it's great. Uh, I love the idea of Lee Elder uh, being with Jack Nicholas and, and Gary Player on the first tee. But I have a question. Why not Thursday? Why, why didn't they do it this week? I don't, why, I they, don't think Lee's health is... is well, he was at Augusta the he, day of the announcement. He was, but... I, do I, they I, think his health's going to get better necessarily between now and April? I don't, I don't know. He's 86 years old. Yes. And, and, and my whole thing would be, this is a great idea. Should have been done years ago. Um, 
but let's get them out there as soon as we can. And that may just be the cynic in me, too. Um, but I, I would like to see, even if he can't, if his health is such his health is such that he could get to Augusta, even if he can't swing the club, right. have him on the tee. All right, then let me be devil's advocate in this, John. If there's hope of a crowd in April, let's have him in front of the crowd. Well, you can do both. Okay, all right. They're not mutually exclusive. Okay. And, you know, when when Jack and Gary step onto the tee on Thursday, there won't be a crowd, but there'll be TV. People will be watching. Good point. Good point. Uh, well, but, that's one. I, we've known each other how many years? I've made, made I, one good point. I believe it's 4-3. Um, <laughs> We're do, in a tie break. Can you um, – you mentioned the Ryder Cup, so this may be the same answer. I, I'm just curious because we're we're doing so many things differently this year. One of the things we're doing differently is shopping at Augusta National. Can you think of another event? Again, maybe the Ryder Cup, maybe the Open Championship, where the merchandise at the event plays such a big role? Well, no, because the, the, un, unless it's changed, I, I think uh, Augusta National, the Masters, is the last event where uh, they wouldn't let you shop online. Mm-hmm. You had, you know, that's why the lines have always been so long, uh, because uh, to bring, as I as I wrote at one point, to to bring something out of Augusta National, you have to get into Augusta National. Wimbledon years ago started selling stuff online. Uh, PGA of America will sell Ryder stuff, Ryder Cup stuff to you online. I, I know the USGA, the USGA will come to your house with it if you if you ask them to, uh, as long as they get the sale. So. Now, now this year they are selling online. Obviously, yes, two ticket. And holders. I wonder two ticket if holders. they'll continue to do it next April. I don't. I don't think if so. crowds come back. I hope not. I, I, it's what, even though it's a pain in the neck for me, and I'm sure for you, when people give me their shopping list, mm-hmm. um, and we're not allowed to shop in the pro shop anymore, so you got to go out with the masses. I that, that, that that's a a a one percent uh, <laughs> complaint there, um, but. <laughs> Even though it's a pain in the neck, uh, you know, I, I know that I'm doing something special for people when I bring bring them souvenirs. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's dangerous to have you out on the masses. Uh, it is. What is? No, there's no question. All right. So before, there's no question. But, but, but I always bring Dave Kindred with me, and he, he, he forces me to behave. You need a better bodyguard. Uh, <laughs> than Dave? Well, Dave's slight. Dave is slight. Dave's slight, but but you don't want to mess with him. Okay, he's wiry. He's wiry. He's quick. He's wiry and quick. <laughs> exactly right. Um, all right, so so we have everything straight here. Uh, John's new audio book is called "The Friends I've Made," and and John's new project is called "Story Time with John Feinstein." Um, I look forward to all of that stuff. John, uh, thanks for taking the time to do this. I deeply appreciate it. I'm going to miss you, but thank you. John, uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, and I hope we'll at least be able to sit down and have a cup of coffee uh, in April. 